0: Hey everyone welcome to ttt the talking transport transformation podcast brought to you by Tumi, the transformative urban mobility initiative we were thrilled to be at the international transport forum 2023 in leipzig with our special guest amy Gautier. We did not only have the privilege to engage in a meaningful and intimate conversation with her during this enlightening podcast, but also we were honored to have Amy as a speaker at the recent To Me 2023 Conference on Feminist Voices in Transport. Aimée Gauthier is the Chief Knowledge Officer at the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy, ITDP, where she has been working since 2002. She leads the global programme, which focuses on global research, impact evaluation, capacity building and campaigns on sustainable and equitable transport and urban development. She has been leading the work at ITDP on understanding access through different lenses such as gender, caregivers and persons with disabilities. Mobility is not only related to trips to work, our lives are so much bigger than our jobs. With these profound words, our special guest set the tone for an enlightening discussion that followed. This powerful opening remark serves as a call to action, shedding light on the pressing need to incorporate care mobility into transport planning and to elevate the significance of the often unvalued, unrecognized and invisible care work. In this inspiring episode, we also delve into the significance of workplace flexibility and its impacts on care-related challenges the gender dynamics of car dependency and the lack of female representation in the transport sector. Amy emphasizes the importance of surpassing female inclusion in favor of advocating for structural changes. Without further ado, let us dive into this truly inspiring episode.
1: We are here live from ITF in Leipzig with Aimee Gauthier from ITDP. Welcome to the
2: TTT podcast. I'm really excited to be here. This is my first podcast, so I'm, I'm really happy to to be talking with you and I hope I don't make any mistakes.
1: <laughs> Yesterday we met uh, at the To Me 2023 conference and we had a session that was planned and moderated by you, among others, um, that looked at care mobility and was called From Car Care. Could you maybe firstly define for our listeners that might not be familiar uh, with it, what the mobility of care
2: means and its role in transport? Sure. Um, Transportation planning has typically centered the relatively young, non-disabled commuting male. Um, And so when you, I, I was even at a session this morning when they were doing analysis of their transportation system, and it was only about access to jobs. And what that really does is it voids the fact that we have many other trips that we need to make for our lives. Um, so the mobility of care uh, is a reference to the the need to complement our economic productivity with social reproductive work, things like um, going to schools. Uh, going to health clinics, going to grocery stores, going to the pharmacy, maintaining the household, making sure everyone's well and fed and fit. So our lives are so much bigger than our jobs um, and we need to have good access to those things. So the mobility of care is really a way to elevate those kind of invisible or hidden uh, trips that aren't right now included in transportation planning. And this is really important and I wanted to link this to The Feminist feminist Voices, uh, that was the theme of the TUMI conference, but also the Feminist Development Policy, um, which is feminism is not uh, just about inclusion. Kelpana from Safety had said that, and I think that's a really important point to make. Feminism is about structural change, and it's uh, about structural change um, for elevating um, the role of unvalued, unrecognized, and invisible care work. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, patriarchal thinking um, that doesn't value the work that women do typically or have typically traditionally done. So it's um, the mobility of care is really saying we need to value these things. We need to measure them. We need to count them um, and we need to plan for them. Yeah, I think that's a key point that you said that the
1: care labor is not only unpaid but also made invisible also in its contribution to the economy because it's not Mm -hmm. just the paid work that helps us um yeah increase gdps and so on and so forth so Mm -hmm. that's also a different aspect that i wanted to highlight and maybe you could speak a little bit on the car part of this um session title that you had yesterday so what does car dependency, in your opinion, have to do with uh, gender? Is it a
2: gendered issue? For sure it's a gendered issue, um, partly because of the power dynamics that exist in the society. So who gets first access to vehicles? It's going to be the men. Um, and that can be cars, that can be motorcycles, that can be bikes. And so you'll see this, this uh, gender imbalance in cycling as well. But you'll see it definitely and who has access to the cars. And even um, Robin Chase opened uh, the with her keynote. She was talking about why she uh, invented, I think is the word, but you know, founded Zipcar. Um, and it was because she had one car for her family and her husband took the car and she didn't have access to another form of transport, another thing like that that could help her family move through the city uh, with three kids and the goods that need to be part of that. So... It's absolutely a gendered issue. And the other thing that results from car orientation is the land use. Um, And so you have sprawl, you have these really long distances, all of these, you have isolation. So like, I think to me, sprawl is (laughs) anti-woman. And I really feel like, and sprawl is a result of car dependency um, or an over-focus on motorized vehicles because sprawl happens in places that don't that um don't necessarily have the mode share for cars but it's it you're isolated from community you're isolated from your opportunities um and single use development is also i think uh a res- uh, something that is um negatively impacting women as caregivers um because it's so much harder for them to make the trips so caregivers typically trip chain because there's uh the thing with caregivers is that they have limited time and so they have to meet all these responsibilities for the household. Uh, so they will take one trip and combine multiple destinations into it. So they may you know, leave with their kid, drop them off at daycare, go to pay a bill, go to work, go to the grocery store on the way home from work, pick up the child. So it's like multiple trips uh, in one, or multiple destinations in one trip. And if you're in a sprawling landscape, it's much, much harder to do that.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Um, you quoted some of the incredibly inspirational inputs that we had yesterday at the session. Could you
2: maybe give us a little recap and what stood out for you? I've mentioned a couple. Um, one, another thing I think all of us in the audience were moved by Robin's. Um, she got emotional when she was talking about caring for the kids and caring for the planet and and how you know like this is. Um, And she was talking about climate change too. And this is something that I've been like struggling with lately is this like impending sense of doom, (laughs) like the planet is burning. Um, And yet people are like, but we should keep drilling and we should keep driving. And it's kind of like, what, what, where is this disconnect coming from? Like we have to make changes and we have to move quickly. And um, so Robin's kind of emotional play around that and her personal play was really interesting. I think, I really loved uh, the deputy mayor from Tirana, Anwala Rastani. She was on the, uh, from credit care um, session. And the fact that she was very, she was so clear about um, that our transportation systems reflect our values. And so right now, it we are appearing to be an uncaring society. And that's not who we should be or want to be. But like, Public transport does really mirror those those values. Um and let's see, what else did people say? There was it was really rich. Um I did love the calls. I think Kalpana was the one who was doing this, but the the calls to say how can I help? as opposed to what you know, I this is what I need, like start asking how can I help? Um and then part of what the Tumi Conference I think was doing in a really great magical way is we have to build community and we're only going to solve these problems when we're together. And so I think the community building aspect of it was great.
1: Thank you. Yeah. You spoke on where's the urgency. Um, I think this is a very strange feeling sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, also the aspect of helping each other. But also I think something that uh, stuck out for me yesterday was Supri Dada uh, from C- Critical Mass Nairobi yesterday saying that it's not, we, we, we must not forget that vulnerable road users are not just someone, but it could be any of us at any moment. Mm-hmm. Either it's us caring for a loved one that might be in a dire situation from one day to the other, or when it comes to poor road safety, it could be us at any moment as well, right? To become the vulnerable road users. So yeah, it's just such a, such a universal topic. And I think that's not um, necessarily understood. Um, could you comment on that as well?
2: I think with that comment for Supreme, I think it was really brilliant because, you know, we kind of think we're protected somehow, um, but we're not. Um, and even so as a road user, the, accident, the, the the violence in our streets could affect you. You know, like I think women are really used to thinking about violence um, as they move through streets, um, but we're typically thinking about it more from an urban violence or a gender violence perspective. Uh, when women become parents um, or when people become parents, it changes a little bit because suddenly they have their kid and they're like, Oh my God, I have to now be very protective of this person. And I was talking with um, a woman yesterday, Vanessa from the Volvo research and educational foundation. And she was like, I used to cycle and now I have a kid. And like I, the, the barrier or the, the need for cycling to be safe has increased by so much more because I have my kid on my bike and now I choose not to cycle. So there are these really big barriers and it could be you. I mean, that's the thing it's life is short and precious and you just don't know what's going to happen. And, um, one day you're walking on the street and the next day you've been part of a, of a road crash and it changes everything. Um, and it almost gets to uh, what the Senator was talking about too, where, you know, her life changed dramatically with her, with her vision impairment and it changed how she experienced the city and how she can move around and her accessibility. It, you know, it doesn't have to be these dramatic things too. It can be things like just getting older, breaking your ankle, um, you know, having a bad day and you just move slower. Like it's just, life is not like, we we kind of plan for like peak performance, but most of us are sub subpar. When it comes to that, you know, we're all kind of going through something. We talked a little bit about road safety already, and
1: I just wanted to ask you um, how that is included in your work at the moment at ITDP.
2: We, um, we're we finding a lot of intersections between road safety and gender. Um, and th- so there's a couple of things happening. One is um, where we're finding entry points for action is around schools um, and children. And, you know, no one can... Well, people can be, but like, you know, people love children. So you're like, oh, we have to make schools safer. We have to make it safer for children. That's something that people intuitively understand. They're not going to push back and be like, yeah, it should be more dangerous. Um, So we're doing these safe routes to schools, school zones. um, And it's also a really great way to hopefully build uh, knowledge and awareness with a younger generation, but with their parents. It's a good way to get to parents. Um, and and change their perceptions as well. Um, And it's also something that you can see very quickly the the impact from. So it builds support for that type of thing. So people can get out in the streets, they can make it safer, they can slow down cars. And speed is the biggest thing with road safety. Like uh, speed exponentially increases the likelihood of injury or death. So slowing down cars is really important. Um, The other thing that we're that we're just beginning to kind of get to is the intersection of like, or the, how do we make our transport systems less violent? So how do we make our, our systems so that they don't create um, road fatalities? Or how do we make our public transport systems so that there's not the threat of gender violence in it? So like this anti-violence lens could be interesting and it brings together a lot of different Components from road safety to gender to to other issues. That brings me to uh, another question that I
1: wanted to ask you about the use of space. Something that inspired me yesterday was Anwela Zani saying, um, "Making the mobility of care possible includes not only vehicles but also resting areas, mm. which could be one uh, great use of space that might be overlooked in transport planning a lot, especially in care mobility." but also what also came to mind when you were speaking was these geographies of fear. And Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to generally ask you what might be some ways of broadening our perspectives when it comes to mobility and connection with the use of space. That's
2: a big question. Um, I'll I'll start kind of more at a simple level where, uh, and I mentioned this yesterday, but with the Bernard Van Leer Foundation, we were asked to look at mobility for babies and toddlers. And you think they're not really going anywhere. What kind of mobility do they need? Um, But it's mainly that they have needs and, and these needs are really related to their social, emotional, cognitive development. So this was kind of like the first time for me, and I've been working in transportation for 20 years, where I was like, oh, part of walking needs to be sitting. I just didn't understand that. And so when you're traveling with a baby or a toddler and suddenly they get hungry, you need to stop and you need to attend to them or maybe they need to rest. Um, so like the, the idea of your infrastructure for moving through space also needs to include places where you pause, where you sit, where you interact. Um, we have been looking at the, the design of footpaths and sidewalks for a really long time and we we typically say there needs to be three zones there's like the through zone so you have enough space for people to walk through you have the um, active frontage zone which is the space in front of stores where people come in and out you might have some tables you might have some vegetable stands it's going to be cluttered and it's going to be congested Um, and then you have the furniture zone and that's where you can put things like trees uh, seating, um, garbage cans. So like you want to design all of that. And I was thinking of it more as amenities, like, Oh, you know, you can sit down if you want, um, there's shade to protect you, but no shade, shade, especially in extreme heat conditions is going to be the thing that makes it possible to walk. So right. it's, it's funny how I'm shifting my own understanding of what's necessary for space. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I think I've lost the plot a little bit, but um, I think the idea is that mobility is so much more than throughput, and that's how we have been defining mobility for. I mean, it's been vehicle throughput, it's been speed, and I think we need to shift it to uh, what makes it possible to walk or cycle or to to be with a family in public space. That's the other thing: is this like moving together with people is not something that we're And a walking situation or a cycling situation is something that we're planning for. Our our cycle lanes are enough for a bike to go by. It's not enough for two bikes to travel together. So if you're a family, it makes it much more difficult. And this also applies to older people as well. Um, You know, my father came up to visit me and I didn't understand the idea that you would need to sit while you're walking, especially around my neighborhood. It's not that long of a distance. And as we were walking through, he, he was like, I have to sit down. I can't walk anymore. And there were no seats for him. Like we had no place for him to sit down and he couldn't sit on the ground because he physically couldn't sit on the ground. So it was, it became a, like a crisis. Like, what are we going to do? My dad can't stand. So we have to figure it out. Um, and we we eventually found a place for him to sit, but like, it was very stressful. And so this idea that if you're trying to walk with people through space, and they they have to sit down, we need to make sure that that's available for them. Today, ITF was opened by a
1: session on gender barriers to entrepreneurship in the transport sector, and one of the speakers was Sunasha, who spoke about what she called a care work tax for uh, women who are business owners and might take shorter trips when they're drivers and take longer breaks to care for their families. So what connections do you see between these glass ceilings and the world of care labor? Um,
2: Care work is a huge tax on women. Full stop. doesn't matter if they're working in transport or if they're working, um, anywhere like, uh, a colleague of mine wanted to come to ITF, uh, but she couldn't because she couldn't arrange the care for her kid while she was going to be away. Um, And, you know, this is a place of networking. This is a place of opportunity. She's being denied that because of the fact that she has care work that she has to take care of. Um, So I think it's, it's real. I don't know how it's complicated because um, you know, we, we've thought about like, do, can you bring children to work? Can you bring children to conferences? And it it's, it's plausible, but then the person who is at the conference has also to maintain that balance between care and work, or if they're in their office and they, and they bring their kids to work, they still have to like watch out for their, their, their child. So like it gets really complicated. Um, I don't know the specific example um, that uh, you were referring to, but I do think flexibility in work is probably the key thing that will help with care. And so that was one of the things that happened with the pandemic um, for some people, not a lot actually, but um, some people who worked in offices could work from home, had more flexibility I mean, at the, at the time it was really taxing because you know the kids were home too and it was terrible and parents everywhere thought they were going to lose their minds. But um, coming out of that, there has been more flexibility around can you you know, work from home and on the days where you have to take care of children. And one of the things I actually love about ITDP is that we are very, we try, we try I shouldn't say we're very, we try to be as um sensitive to this as, as possible. Like, you know, we have a lot of parents who have to take off work and it's not vacation. They have to take off work because their kids aren't in school or, you know, like it's so like, we try to make sure that, um, there's understanding for those things that happen, that there's space for that to happen, that there's time for that to happen. Um, so getting back to, if you're an e-rickshaw driver and you're a woman and you're able to take more breaks to take care of your family, and maybe that's the best thing for you, to have an income, I'm not saying that this is the case, but you know, if you can have an income that also allows you to have flexibility with when you need to be available for care, maybe that's a good thing. But if it's if you're trying to do all of the things like make the income you need to live while also dealing with care, like, I think that's the trap that we're, we're all under because care work is not valued. Um, and that our whole economic system is undergirded by this free labor that is not recognized. So I think that this is the tension Um, and it's true within transport sector work and it's true in um, all work. Uh, I was just at a session this morning uh, where uh, some for all gender working group released a report on a gender toolkit for the transport sector, which looks at some of these things. One thing that came up that I thought was really interesting was also the sanitation. where do women go to the bathroom if they're working um, in the transport sector? Um, do they feel safe in those places? Like, uh, So it's partly about childcare, but it's also partly about like the transport sector isn't really well developed to also have the needs of women that, who are drivers or things like that. It seems like in transport planning,
1: there are just a lot of unanswered questions, like the ones you just uh, mentioned for how women are not accounted for and maybe questions that just haven't been asked that need to be raised. Mm -hmm. I would like to shift a little bit in the topic. Um, Tumi has been focused for a while now also on the just transition topics and mobility. And I just wanted to ask um, how you see this coming into the picture as well when we talk about equity.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I'm really excited about just transition. I think it's amazing. I, I think it's something It's stepping back around. If it's just around batteries, like it's important that we aren't maintaining the kind of same exploitative um, frameworks that we've had in the past with fossil fuels as we move into new energy transition. So I think it's hugely important, um, but I think it needs it. And I think people recognize it, that it needs to be more. And so um, for me, transportation um, is fundamental to reaching our basic human rights, and in that sense, transportation needs to be considered a basic right because without it, you can't do all the things that you're supposed to be doing as a hum- as a human and as human rights. So when we think about justice in the transportation field, I think we've been looking at um, equity for a really long time as as the key place to get to, and then maybe inclusion. But I, I think we need to be thinking about justice. And what that really means is removing the systemic barriers that create the conditions where you need to have equity measures in place, or like really need to be thinking about inclusion. And in that sense, that's why mobility of care to me is really key, because one of those systemic measures is the undervaluing of care work and visibility of care trips. And that's a systemic change that I think we can make that would help us move towards a more just transition.
1: Thank you so much um, <laughs> for talking to me today, Amy. And I wish you a great rest of your international
2: transport forum. Thank you. It's really fun talking to you. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much to our remarkable guest, Amy Gauthier, and to all listeners for joining us for this episode. This episode is part of a series of interviews featuring the remarkable feminist voices in transport 2023 as part of Tumi's feminist voices and transport campaign and annual focus for this year. And as we conclude, we leave you reflecting on the words of Amy, transportation needs to be considered a human right. We hope our conversation has left you inspired and we encourage you to join us in our mission to advocate for sustainable mobility systems
2: for all.